and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura. Um, we'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Tonight we're fortunate enough to be speaking with Paul McPhail from Beloka Kelby Stud. Paul will be picking who he thinks has asked the best question of the night and now we're in a bag of Enduro, um, high-energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Hey, Paul, how are you going? Good, thank you. <clears throat> Thanks, mate. Technology. We thought we'll have a bit of a technology glitch there. Uh, so we thought, well, we'll just quickly run to the start again and then realise we didn't. So yeah. <laughs> we're all set. We're all going. Just a bit ahead yeah, of right. ourselves. Yeah, very good. How's your day been, mate? What have you, you been up to? Um, preparing for cementing and a few dog lessons, uh, you know, on the barra, you know, out in the, out in the, uh, out in the paddock doing a bit of dog lesson stuff. That sounds yeah. all right. What's going in, mate? What are you concreting? Um, oh, I've got a mate who's a bit of a concreter and he's we've just got a few little jobs around the house, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. So you got to box it all up, put the sand in, you know, blah, blah. Yeah. Bit of heavy lifting, doesn't hurt. Nothing like some physical labour, right? Oh, it doesn't hurt. A little bit. Not too much. And are you experiencing all this uh, rain like the northern part of or like New South Wales? I haven't heard the news for a while, but we've had no rain, thank goodness. Yeah, right, yeah. And um, we don't need it. Obviously, Sydney doesn't need it either, but you are you getting it or what? Yeah, mate, that's what Laura and I are actually just speaking. We're on a little island till I think about next Tuesday or Wednesday at the moment. So, um, yeah, no, all the all the bridges are shut. Uh, we can't get up through to Hunter and I think there's a landslide heading back towards Lithgow at the moment and needs to be cleared, so it's all right. Yeah. Like yeah. freezes full of lamb. It's biggest everyone's um I think it's the biggest one in the last twenty or thirty years. Really? Jeez. Mm. Oh well. Right. If the if your freezer's full of lamb, well the dogs must be working <laughs> correctly. So. Done, so they might be overtrained by the end of this. <laughs> if you can catch one, you're right. That's the game. So That's we'll jump stuff. straight into it. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up? Where you're from and what you're doing these days? Okay. Well, I'm a, a fourth generation uh, farmer in this area, so um, sort of grew up as a kid on uh, we, we mixed farm, mainly dairy farm, with a few sheep and a few beef cattle. So you know, I was tagging around behind the old man when I was a little fella, and um, I guess that. I always had that understanding that, you know, the dog sort of cast out and went and got the cows in, you know, I always had that understanding because I think I used to tag along and I remember little stories like, you know, there was farm talk and there was house talk. Yeah. Maybe the, there was a bit of swearing. The old man, you know, might have had a bit of swearing out in the paddock occasionally. Maybe just a bit. I think I got in trouble a couple of times, but <laughs> mainly I was pretty good. So, so, yeah, so at home, you know, when I was a little kid, there was all bush and, you know, it was, it was a dad was sort of clearing country and, um, you know, the cows would get in the bush and I can remember like, you know, the dogs would go in there and, the, you know, there might be a heifer or something that wouldn't come out and there'd be a lot of swearing and anyway, go back to the shed and let more dogs go and then there'd be, a lot of barking and bellowing and, you know, the heifer would, you know, go back into the yard and, you know, she never did it again. And, uh, you know, them sort of things, you know, just had to get yeah. the job done. 
So um, what did I do? I grew up, I guess, and um, oh, we milked cows. I left school, milked cows. I always wanted to be a farmer, you know, just just love the farm. And um, milked cows for a while, just, um, just got sick of it, really, milking cows. So I had a bit of a, a stand-up altercation with the old man one day and decided to piss off. <laughs> So I went up to Queensland for a couple of years, up a little place called Dingo out from Rockhampton. Yes. Worked on a big place there called um, Junie, which had oh, 70,000 acres, 60,000 acres. Um, just heavy bush, heavy downs country, um, just horses and um, <clears throat> Brahmin cattle, 6,000 Brahmin cattle. And just there was three of us, so just learnt a lot about weaning cattle um just breaking them in with horses very similar to dogs learned to read stock you know uh, you know we're out in the bush you had to watch your stock you know um so i learned that i had you know you had to watch you know because there was always that one with its head up looking to go you know and um probably know that brahmin cattle can be really quiet or they can be really mad and there was a very big contrast there. And I can remember, you know, being in the yards and, you know, them old cows, they wanted to kill you. Like, that was, <laughs> I loved it. It was just great, you know, and uh, it was a real, you know, cowboy show, you know. And uh, it was, <clears throat> I was very, you know, I just, it was sort of me and I loved that style of life. And I don't know, I come home, got talked into playing footy, you know, doing a bit of Aussie rules, you know, busted me knee, you know, that sort of stuffed it. And, um, uh, you know, and then I sort of ended up buying my own farm, which, what was that, 1990, I think. Um, <clears throat> bought the farm 1990, um, called it Beloka, had started up a Kelpie stud, um, met Neil McDonald at a dog trial, and um, he come down here and I hosted quite a few schools for him. So, you know, back on that whole stock thing, um, you know, st started to do some dog trials. It's pretty shit at it. Um, <laughs> I wasn't that good. And, um, but I was, I think back, you know, if I went back into my sort of when dad had dogs, I always wanted to have my own dogs and do it myself. I was very self-motivated about you know and determined to do it myself so with the dog trialing it was it was probably more about just getting out and about and looking for um kelpies you know looking at handlers and you know getting better i think and yeah. um i bought a lascana dog which was a um a stud up in northern um victoria and, um, <clears throat> you know, then I started my Kelpie stud and I don't know, um, started, we, Neil McDonald had, he'd nick off back to South Australia. So there we were stuck. So we formed a little club and I was supposedly the one who knew the most. So I was a teacher and then, you know, we started just small groups, just very informal. We used to have a, a meet once a month and it was really good and, the people that had been to the to the Neil schools and and um, 
you know, were coming along, they, I, I could see a big learning curve, you know, I could see that they were picking it up quickly just by going back over some simple exercises. <clears throat> and then um, I, you know, I bred a few dogs and then you, you just, you, you give, you know, in them days I'd give it some dog pups away and, and you think, oh, you know, that, these are good pups and, you know, you're all keen and young and excited and, and they ring up the bloke, oh, how's that pup going? He's going, oh, I shot it because it killed a chook or something stupid, you know. And, and I got a bit, you know, I just, it was just like, it was difficult because you sort of have a passion for your dogs and, and this, you know, this farmer mentality was coming in. And it, these were fairly, um, they were strong dogs and I think they were harder to handle than the, just the farm dogs. So I sort of started, you know, I didn't, I just started helping, you know, I started because I was only on a small property. I started um, running my own training classes and that developed into a, you know, a weekend, like a two day course. And I traveled a lot and went around and learned a lot and, you know, just did, just kept it really simple. I'm not much different today. I'm fairly, I'm just a bloke, uh, Dean. We're pretty simple animals, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. We don't, don't need too much, do we? <laughs> just a warm bed and a good feed. Uh, a few things, a few things, <laughs> good beer, yeah. So anyway, um, I don't know. Um, then I, I started, um, I helped run a little trial at, at the local show in Yarram and, and then I don't know. It just I decided to bring the trial to my place, and then yeah. become the Victorian Catalog Championships. Back in I don't know. I think it's the twenty six years I've been running the trials oh, wow. now. Yeah, so it's good on you, Paul. <laughs> so it developed. It just started off as a little cattle trial, and it and it just evolved into different stuff, and and. Um, over that 26 years, I've, I think I've got about five trial courses and we run a yard trial, a, um, <clears throat> a cattle trial. We can run a three sheep trial, a utility trial. And, um, and we also, <clears throat> we run, um, I run city slickers, which is exciting for the city yeah. people because they were coming around, hanging around, so I had to do something with them, give them something to do. And um, so, yeah, the trials have been very, I've, I've hosted the trials like and run them and you know so that's that's been a big part of my life um what happened then i um that trial as well amongst all those other trials yeah yeah there was a few people didn't like that much that's pretty cool um, something different um, hey something different it's pretty cool oh look i i really like the duck trial but the, yeah. a lot of people um you know they're not working ducks are they so you yeah. know they're usually telling it i remember richard puttycone coming here and he, richard's got the big voice and he goes my bloody dogs don't work ducks i'll kick their ass and um <laughs> he was right they wouldn't work them they wouldn't even <laughs> them. They, they went in the duck because i i created this thing that I, I it's still running today we call it the top dog challenge yep. it's um cattle open cattle open yard um sheep um it was the duck trial and it was an open utility and it was a you know a four round event with the with the, the biggest points you know 
the first round points win. And um, I've modified it a little now. We run a three-sheep trial instead of a duck trial, but we still run the duck trial. <laughs> a bit of fun. Because you were quite involved with the um, Victorian util Yard Utility Farm Dog Association, and um, I believe you were one of the first, um, you were present at the first um, meeting as well. No idea. <clears throat> <laughs> However, I've always been, you know, involved in it and I've always enjoyed it. And um, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that all the knowledge is in trialling. It's not as practical as you'd like, but it's the knowledge is there. And to be able to, you know, when, when I started trialling in the, in the mid-90s or in the early 90s, actually, um, you know, I just wanted to get better at it and, and you know, um, I used to go up to East Gippsland, which was such, were, I used to call them the old men's club up there. They were, they were, they were funny blokes, Charlie Robson, and, and uh, most of them are dead now, but they were good blokes <clears throat> and they'd set up their trials to win themselves. And uh, I, was, I was out to beat them and I think, I don't know, I won a trial there one day. It was a big achievement for me. It was like, yeah. So beat you old bastards. <laughs> <laughs> but they were good blokes, you know, um, Corey Latham, um, Bertie Lees, <clears throat> and they were all up around that, that Bansdale area. And I just, um, I, I just enjoyed it, you know, and winning wasn't the, the main goal. It was just um, work, enjoying your dog, I think. Anyway. Yeah. Mm. Well, and you mentioned there before about the trial you run, you, you, the city, city Slickers. Mate, you actually do a lot um, with um, with the city slickers and help them out a bit, right? I know you probably out off like you don't do a lot there, but you actually help them out a lot, right? Oh, look, that's been a big part of my life. Um, you know, I love <clears> – <throat> what I really love doing is going away and running, a, a you know, a, a training course out on a farm with farmers. That's me. I'm a farmer. Yeah. I just love good dogs and – you know, these bloody, these city slickers used to come down and hang around and annoy me. And anyway, and the funny thing was some of them had pretty handy dogs and, um, you know, they they were interested in it. And I thought, well, what, you know, what can we do? And so anyway, I thought, well, why don't we just run a, a, a very simple trial? It's It's got a few rules. It's five minutes. It's just in the main set of yards. It's just five quiet sheep, and these sheep are quiet. And from the big yard into a smaller yard, through a little gap, and through a double gate, into another yard, through there, in through a little gap, and out <clears throat> in the next yard. And there's a myriad of little gates and, you know, things. And it's usually quite easy to get a few points off them. And, um, you know, and I used to judge it all the time because there'd be, you know, there'd be people in there that had no idea. And, uh, God, I've had a few blue healers, that, you know, and I could just take over and deal, you know, with unruly yeah. dogs if it was necessary. And I'd judge them really hard, you know, and if I got 10 points off them, I sort of just was a little bit lighter on you know and um it's usually they were up in the 90s so uh, and if i had to help them i'd take 20 i'd say well i'll help you now <laughs> yeah yeah. But, um, yeah they love it and they're people they're just normal people they're good people a lot of them you know yeah 
Absolutely, and I think it's pretty awesome that you do that, mate, and help them out. And like you said, there's some really good dogs amongst them. Well, I'll tell you this, Dean. <clears throat> it's bloody easy to train a good dog. It's bloody hard to train a bad dog. And half of them are not good dogs. And you've got to really get in there and you've got to, you know, put some press on them dogs and shape them up because they're... they're you know, they're lacking. I did it today. I had three middle-aged women. One's a barrister. One's an accountant. I don't know what the other one does. They've got a dog each, and they've been down here a fair bit before. They just want to come down and work their dog. They love it, you know, blah, blah. <laughs> they yeah, pay yeah. more money. It's lovely. <laughs> yeah. There's a question here from Kane Gardner. After all the years of teaching and mentor mentoring people, what keeps you motivated um, every day? Yeah, what keeps you motivated every day? Well, it's, it, what motivates me, Kane, is blokes like you. Because Kane come down here years ago and, and he was, you know, really starting off. And you know what that sparks memories of when, you know, people, blokes, women, it doesn't matter. But when they're starting off, I remember back when I was starting off. I wasn't that good. I had to work on it, you know, and, and, you know, I remember Kane, he was a fresh young bloke. He was keen and, um, and I think he bought a dog off me and he sort of started going to the trials and, you know, and he, he's just rolled along nicely, you know, and he, he's, he's into it and he loves it. And it's just, you know, he works on a place and, um, you know, it's, it's nice. I, I get enjoyment out of seeing blokes like Kane evolve and just get, you know, they go to other dog trainers and they get knowledge and, you know, it's good. It's great. The second part of his question is, what do you love about the Kelpie? Why Kelpies? Because they're ignorant bastards. <laughs> <laughs> what I like about Kelpies mainly, I think, is their personalities. They've got, they look at you and they, you know, they've got that sort of, you know, what are we doing? <clears throat> um, they, they've got that sort of little bit of arrogance about them. They've got that, I know what I'm bloody doing. Um, and I love to be able to work a good Kelpie that um, I, I don't want to, I want to, I want dogs that are under control, but I don't want to have to control them too much. I want to be able to stop them from not going where I want them. Um, and I want to be able to leave them in a position and let them work it out. And I like dogs to think and I like dogs that um, I can just position a bit and leave them alone. And I, I think I, I, I think there's a, a little bit too much in controlling dogs these days. I think Kelpies are a work dog. Um and I think it's important, you know, I, I like I, my dogs, I, you know, I want them under control. However, I like to allow them to, you know, to do their own thing. And I think that, you know, they've, they've got that, oh, let's get it done sort of attitude. And I, I just think it's nice to allow them to work. You know, yeah. I, I enjoy them working. That's what I like, you know. So I'm in charge. I'm bloody <laughs> in charge. I'm in charge. <laughs> but I would rather 
instead of calling a dog off balance, I'd rather just chuff up there on the motorbike and that dog automatically goes around on balance. Or if I've got, you know, if I've got some problems, a gate open over there and I've got a mob of sheep in front of me and I just go, all right, well, instead of trying to send my dog around there, I might just chuff over here with a bike and then dog automatically go to that position. And, um, you know, I can start calling my dogs back and just stop them from hitting the head and drive them, you know. Um, they like it, you know. It's good. Yeah. I often uh, use a phrase with a few people, I, I want my dogs looking for me, not looking at me. I want them to go, oh, Dan's that way. We've got to get on this side of the sheep and bring them that way and not looking at me going, hey, Dan, the sheep are going that way. What do you want me to do with them? Hmm. And, and I often just shut up and let them go. And if they go the wrong way, I just put a block on them, a stop. And uh, they look at me and go, oh, what are we doing, you know? And it gets back to, you know, you being in charge, but you're still giving them a lot of responsibility, I think. And I think that's them old timers, you know, they were out in rough country. I've got pretty heavy, heavy, big hills up the back and I'm sort of relying on my dogs a fair bit, you know, in that country, you know. So I like the paddock dogs anyway. So there's actually a question here um, from Sean Herman. Um, how much importance do you put on outside ability of your dog as opposed to the inside yard ability? I never select for a yard dog. I always select for a paddock, a strong paddock dog. Um, you know, I, I haven't got – I've got about 500 ewes. Excuse me, and I'm running maybe two or three hundred uh, dry sheep as well, and I'm not. I'm only breaking in weaners, although I haven't broken any weaners lately because they've been worth too much. <laughs> so, um, so you know, I, I've got bought cows and calves, and they're dog killers, and it's just at this point, and the the farm, the family farm out Headley, it's 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 um you know it's in that I'm in that fencing stage and. So I don't work my dogs on the old cows, only if they're dry. Um, so the question was, yeah, yard work. No, I, I, I'm not in. I, look, if you've got a good, strong paddock dog, normally they'll work a yard. Yeah. And some of my, you know, breed are better yard dogs than others, but I prefer a good, strong mustering dog. Yeah. Yeah. And while we're talking about... Oh, can I talk, can I tell a little story about Sean? Go for it. Okay. As long as it's um, not MA or R rated, <laughs> or definitely X. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, no, this one's R rated. <laughs> no. Anyway, so Sean's been coming down here for a while, and um, he's got a really handy, nice old bitch. And he's, you know, what he wanted to, well, he wasn't an old bitch, it was a young bitch. And he was interested in going, he had a small farm and he was really interested in helping some mates out mustering and he enjoyed that. So anyway, so he's come down, we work in his dog and it's actually nice, it's a nice dog and um, she's going pretty well. And so Sean goes home and he's, oh, you know, he's, uh, he's doing what he's doing and then he rings up and he said, oh, I'm having trouble with the old dog. You know, he said, it won't do this and it won't do that. And it won't listen to me and. And I said, I know how to fix it, Sean. I, I know. I said, go to the workshop, get the duct tape out, get some scissors, cut yourself up about a six-inch strip and put it right on your mouth and go out and work your dog. 
Well, he rang me up a couple of days later. He said, gee, that was amazing. <laughs> I said, instead of telling it what to do, just move around a bit. And, you know, as it as it goes, you know, you tell it what to do, but you don't do it the other way. So anyway, Sean's come along and he's trialling. Actually, he's doing quite well. So often, often the case sometimes, right? I think we get a little over controlling and, and our expectations get, you know, over the top in the sense of the dogs understanding what we want. So we've got to just go back to square a little bit. It's different if you're going to a high level of trialing and, you know, you're, you're schooling your dogs. I think, you know, that's a different story. But just generally, I think you go back to square one a little bit. No, absolutely. And growing up, mate, you mentioned you had dogs around. What, what were those dogs? Yeah, back then. Oh, Dad always had Kelpies, and um, they were uh, all, well, not all of them, but most of them were black, and um, they had inappropriate names. They, were all <laughs> called, they all had one name. <laughs> yeah. So we won't go there. But, um, you know, in them days, there was no shame in it. it was just, they were just dogs, you know. And uh, yeah. But there, there was always a dog tied under every tree, I think. And uh, old, old, uh, old, what was the name? Old Sandy. She was a fave. She used to live at the house, and she was obviously a yellow-coloured kelpie. But uh, there was a few around. Yeah, they were all kelpies too. Ah, cool. And mate, um, what age are you starting your pups? Um, normally, um, Dan, I start. You know, pups about fourteen weeks, twelve to fourteen weeks. I sort of just like to see what they're doing. Just, you know, I'm not, I shape, it, it depends. Sometimes I'm doing demos or I'm running, you know, we do a bit of, um, we get coach tours in where you're doing some, you know, some demonstrations. You might go to a show where you need pups working. Um, so, you know, sometimes I need to get them working, but just generally I just like to see what they're doing. Yeah. And, um just how they're working and you know as you know there's close ones and wide ones and yeah all that and you've so. got any milestones of what you want them to be able to do by a certain age or oh work that'd be good yeah <laughs> <laughs> um I, I i guess i don't take much notice in the form of milestones or as you know, dogs can be quite different in their just how fast they evolve and <clears throat> how fast they start working. So I just work them at probably their own pace, which there's three things involved, right, Laura? There's sheep, there's a dog, and there's a human. Okay, so they're all different. Yeah. And, um, you know, no square peg fits all. So it's very hard to say, okay, I do this. With this dog, I do this, but this yes. next dog, I might not. So, you know, how do you give advice like that? You know, it's, it's, it's just one of them things I just go out. But generally, I just go and start them. And I like a dog that just holds its sheep gets to the control points, you know, gets to the head, holds, you know, and will come in a little bit. But, you know, I don't want them just thugging around. I, I like them to be able to work. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note, Tracy High School has actually asked, um, Tracy is from the UK, I believe. 
Um, she's asked, what is your cutoff point with a pup switching on stock? Yeah, it's a, it's a sort of similar question. Um, I guess you've got to, you know, think about where you're going with them. I've heard of, you know, and there's always them old stories that the dog was two year old before it worked. And, and then, you know, and I, I'm a little bit, I like them into gear at sort of five or six months. Um, yeah. I might be prepared to wait a little bit longer. You know, you can, I can tease them a bit and, and um, try to get them switched on. You know, I might tie them up and let them watch, you know, um, but they should be into gear at sort of five. Ninety-eight percent of my pups are into gear at fourteen weeks, you know. And I usually just let them go out and have a bit of a, a bit of a, you know, a lap as a as a as a as a litter. If I've got a litter, I just let them go out and you know they all get together. They're all big and brave, and all of a sudden they got them in the corner woofing at them, and you know you you do that two or three times and they're starting to switch on a bit, you know? Yeah. So. Well, just, just on that, um, you mentioned it as a litter. Mate, do you have an age where if you have a litter of pups and you're going to keep a few, where you start to separate them um, so you can get in their head a bit rather than all being involved in with each other rather than yourself? It's a good question, Dean. Um, sure. I can't get a, ba a bag of feed, mate, so it's a freebie. Yeah, it's all right. It's not that good. Yeah, it's all right. It's all, okay. It's all right. Yeah. But it's yeah, it's it's um, I like them to be pups for a while. I like them to you know, they get to the point where they start bluing and you know if you've got too many, so I start splitting them up a bit. And I, I like to. I've got some crates on the back of my ute. I like to put you know four or five in there and cart them around and teach them to travel, and. Because yeah. if you've got them in, in your crates in the ute, you've got to get them out three times a day. You've got to catch them three times a day. So there's there's some personal time there and they get quite clever at not getting caught. So you put a long lead on them, catch them. You know, you pick them up. I'm a big one for picking up a pup and carrying it around. And if they start wriggling and that, I, I tend to, you know, just teach them to just ragdoll, you know, just pressure relief stuff and, and just teach them to just put up with it. And um, after a while, I actually quite like it. I've got to pick them up, put them in the bus. And, yeah. um, you know, if I do a bit of that, usually um, you get into that 14 to 16 weeks, I might start to think about, you know, splitting them up a bit. I might put them in with a, an older dog, yeah. um, a pine dog, not something that's going to belt them or anything, yeah. but something that'll just put them in their place. That sort of saves me a lot of work, you know. Yeah. It's nice if they learn to, you know, submit a little bit and pull their head in <laughs> to their elders. <laughs> Absolutely. Look, there's a question there. Did you want to... Yeah, there's one here from uh, Kyle Schmidt. What's the biggest tip when, tra um, when working with dogs? Well, all right. The biggest tip... <clears throat> All right, so I'd like to uh, introduce the two stubby program. Now, there's a couple of things involved. First, you need uh, mid-strength beer, and the second, you need northern because it tastes good, but that could alter for different people. <laughs> so my theory is I'm going to have two stubbies at the end of the day anyway. 
and I might as well go and train a dog or let the dogs go for a run. And a lot of my training, usually got a lot of young dogs, and a lot of my training is just exercising, um, teaching them, just running them as a pack and teaching them, you know, good manners, good behaviour and obedience. And, and if I'm having trouble, well, I'll just get them out and I'll do a little bit of training later, you know, on a long lead. But I want my dogs, you know, mannered, behaved and obedient before I go near sheep in a serious way. You know, I might work my dogs on sheep, but I'm not, I usually don't sit them until they're a bit older, but I'll stop them and I'll, I'll send them left and right and stuff like that. So, hmm. yeah. Two stubbies, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Yes, it can be, it can evolve into more. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I had the shearer down here, we had trouble getting shearers just recently and a, a friend of mine, Jono, come down and he was shearing and we had to stretch it to the six stubby program, <laughs> shearing and, and train a few dogs and then it went to the eight stubby program. So, so it, it's adaptable, you know. Shearing got expensive. That's all right. They're only <laughs> mid-strength, so it's something like having That's four. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the tree very close. <laughs> they don't knock you around too much. <laughs> um, question here from Joe Levin. Um, when you were talking about um, starting pups and that, he's asked, do you feel that not encouraging or preventing exposure to stock may inhibit and delay a young dog later? say, at 10 to 12 months old? Well, what I like, the trouble is if you introduce your pups to stock, then they get, a, you know, if they've got a lot of drive, they get a bit mad to work. <clears throat> now, I don't, I don't think you should work them too much. I might work them every second week or every third week. I might give them 10 or 15 minute session. I don't give them too much. Um, I just want to keep them in touch with the sheep. Um, I want to just keep a little eye on their progress. I want to just teach. I don't want to teach them too much. I'm, I'm not a big one for round yards. I, I, I don't. I, my round yard is quite big. It's I don't know. It's fairly big. It's twenty by fifteen meters. I'd say. Um, so there's a bit of room there. But I like to get out a little bit. But I, I also like to have quite cheap so that nothing's going to go really badly wrong but um what was the question again starting like showing them sheep later prevents them um like from delays them to start later on in life and then affect them at 10 and 12 months old well i've had a i've had a bloke he was from st kilda in melbourne and he had straight red kelpie and all he wanted to do was have it up backing the sheep which we did and it was 12 and i'd never seen sheep before and it loved it and it was actually quite good so i don't know i just like to start them a bit young get them going but i i think that if you show them sheep too much i think it sends them mad and yeah. i think you know i just like to cart them around the ute a bit or on the bike I, I don't like taking them into the workplace because i think that sends them mad and um i think they need to grow up and you just, they get to know who you are and I'll just cart them around or run them here or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. I've only been doing it 30 years. I don't know much. <laughs> and you said there before you only like to show them, you know, 
every other week and stuff like that. How do you know when they're ready for, you know, that weekly or daily sort of every other day training? Well, they're always ready. <laughs> if it's a Kelpie, it's ready. Yeah. It depends whether I'm ready. Yeah. And it gets back to me, not them, you know, and I just think, um, you know, and I'm a farmer. I've got shit to do as well, you know. I'm, I can't just fart around all my life. So, but one of the interesting things that I've learned, I think, over the years is uh, going to the Casterton uh, working dog auctions. So I've been going to Casterton, uh, I started in 2000. And um, so I've been going there for that period of time. And what I've what I've done with regardless of age, um, whether they're older dogs or younger dogs, is I have this criteria in the last six weeks I work I try to work them every day. Yeah. And I find that they if you're working them every day, I find that they do develop quickly. You know, yeah. if you you know, and I sold a pup there the other day for six grand and you know, he was he was only 14 weeks and um, I just, just do a little bit with him. Just, just a little bit. I don't put, you've got to be careful. If you start putting pressure on pups, I'll switch off and you'll go backwards. So yeah. I verbally try to keep things fairly positive unless, even if they're biting, I'll just leave a bit of wool on the sheet, you know, and I'll let them, they can have a bite and they don't hurt anything. And, but I physically apply some press or some pressure on the pups when they're doing the wrong thing. So yes. I'm actually talking with my body language. So I'm, I'm applying a pressure relief system to the puppies when I'm working them. And I'm usually fairly positive with my voice, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned earlier that like, you've been doing it for 30 years. How have you changed? Like. Have you changed now to 30 years ago and, and what have sport that on, if you have? No. Oh, you get better. Um, yeah. I think you start shortcutting things. I'm not as fast as I was. Yeah. <laughs> I get a bit slower. But, um, you, you know, when I started, um, um, I what I did, I trained a lot of dogs for other people to start with and that taught me a lot and there was a lot there was a lot of dogs that were like feral and they had no manners and and you know I had two weeks they were paying me I don't know 50 bucks a week or whatever it was back then and I and <clears throat> so I would work with the dog every day do a little bit with it and and sometimes I just have to go back to sit and stay and um you know though some of them weren't interested some of them were mad Ever ever trained a blue healer? God, <laughs> that's bloody tough going, I tell you. Go on here at the moment. Yeah, and, it, and you know, it, it you evolve into an understanding of how the dog is and what, you know, what you, you can't go, all right, I want to achieve this. You, you've got to start here and just work up and it takes a little while. And that's it's the same as, you know, when I train dogs for Casted and you, you, sometimes you're applying a little bit probably more pressure than they like and they can go a bit sour and you've got to back off a little bit and give them a bit more freedom 
allow them to enjoy them their work you know and then you start getting them to do things you want and um i just number one you know or well, one of the things they've got to enjoy it yeah yeah and, and if you're going to put too much on them you know like the, one thing is you know i always use i always have a stick a training stick or a rake most you know people switch dogs off they're swinging them around like a freaking axe murderer you know it's like, for God's sake, keep the rake low. Don't ever bring it up, you know. And and there's a there's a way of doing it, I guess, that that you know that works. So, but everyone does it differently. I just do what. If it doesn't work, I I don't do it. And if it works, I do it. And it it, it mightn't suit all dogs either. So you yeah, know, yeah. It's just um, you sort of get a bit of a base knowledge, I guess. And you sort of think, oh, yeah, you tell people and it's like, shit, I can do it, but how do you tell them, you know? that's <laughs> Then, you you know, you try to write it down and that's another story, isn't it? It's just, you know, it's, I can do it, but it's like you've got to be able to, you've got the person involved, so you've got to be able to explain it to the person as well, which is... Absolutely. Yeah, it's good fun. <laughs> that's why you have the two stubbies at the end of the day. You've got to <laughs> Something to look forward to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you can call their dogs nicknames because, you know, they'll put up with it because they know you're going to fix their dog, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a, bit of fun. Got a few questions you're trying to work through at the moment. Yeah. Um, There's one here from Kylie Bradshaw. How can I get my easily distracted Kelpie to recall on command? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? I have one rule, and it's called. Oh, oh, you'll love this, Laura. I'm writing a book, right? Yeah. Okay. Bloke to Kelpie, bloody whatever. And um, it starts off. It says, "There's only one command. Do as you're told. The end." <laughs> and then right down the bottom, it goes. If you're having trouble, you know, continue. But. If you've got a working dog, especially a Kelpie, they look at you and go, oh, I'm a bit preoccupied here. I'm not actually interested in coming back to you. Um, I've got other shit going on, you know, and it's like they look at you and they go, well, what are you going to do about it? So I have this thing. I ask them once, I ask them twice, and the third time, if they don't do it, I have to work out a way of making them do it. Yeah helping them enforcing them showing them whatever it is so and i have a level of tones you know there's your nice tone your softer tone not your fluffy silly tone like some people talk like they're talking to like they're a two-year-old child then there's the ask tone right we've got a job to do third tone your little grumpy tone and the fourth tone you lose your shit tone but we don't <laughs> Dean, we don't put that, we don't have that very often. And then there's long leads, and then there's, you know, okay, you got to sit, you got to stay, and you tell them to sit. When they don't, you tell them to sit, and then the third time they have to sit. And then, you know, if they break the sit, that's where a lot of people go wrong, they let their dog break the sit. It's like if they break the sit, you get grumpy, you take them back, they've got to sit. Five yeah. minutes a day. Long leads. It's called uh, starter cord. Beautiful. And you just start at the start where you start and get them right. 
Did that answer it or not? You did. Yeah, you did. definitely. So we've right, we got a few here. We're, we're looking at them going, all right, how, how are we going to prioritise the questions? So yeah. There's a stack of them here. And some have already been asked in different ways as well. But yes, yes 100% on, with you there on the long lead, mate. And you ask and ask. And at some point... The you trick is, you, there's a few things, uh, Dean, um, Dan, sorry. Um, You're right. Sorry. Go for you. I'll call you Dean just because I can. Just don't call me late for dinner. So there's a few things. Um, oh, I've lost my train of thought after that. Um, <laughs> just they've got an attitude because they're bred to work stock. They've yeah. got to be. They've got to be. They've got to have attitude, or else they're weak. You know, like your collies are a little bit easier to manage, where your kelpies are just a bit more difficult in their attitudes. And an old fellow once told me, um, God, um, Patsy Mitchell, a, a, an old driver from Bansdale. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he was a rough-looking old bastard. God. <laughs> anyway, he had a team of bloody kelpies and collies and half-bred things and. He used to go to the trials and he was a ripper bloke. He was just a, a lovely man, you know, and he, he said to me one day, he said, he said, it'll take you, he said, it'll take you twice as long to train a Kelpie, but he said, you'll normally have twice the dog. And he said, you know, yeah. Polly's a good, he said, he's, he had them, but he said, your Kelpies are a bit more all round, you know. Yeah. So. Hey, Gardner's actually asked, um, in your time, have you ever had collies in your camp? And if so, have you ever bred from them? I never owned them. Yeah. <laughs> I had a, a curly cross collie once for a while, but I I, um, I rescued it and I trained it and uh, actually it wasn't a bad little dog. And it's not that I don't like collies. There's quite, I like good dogs. I, I, I don't care what colour, that, what coat they have on, but I prefer kelpies and you know they take a bit more work but i just prefer them they're heavier they're just they've got a bit more presence about them um they've got they've got a, usually got a nice personality about them you know but yeah. um yeah. no i've never i owned one for a short period of time but it wasn't um, by choice i just felt sorry for it and i retrained it and so, i think i give it to someone actually but i've trained plenty of collies i know how to train them yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like kelpies, there's soft ones, there's hard ones, there's absolutely, yeah. So, uh, Tom, uh, Tony Robson has asked over years, had many dogs. What is the best bloke dog that you've had and why? Good question, Tony. Tony's been coming down here for a while, he's probably seen a few of my dogs. Um, I've had a originally <clears throat> when Neil McDonald come down, um, Neil organized a dog for me that a bloke had and he was having trouble with it. It was an older bitch. It was called Cottonwood Sally. And um, the bloke couldn't control it. I don't know what the story was. But anyway, I bought it. And she was a five-year-old bitch. And she was the best casting dog I reckon I've had. And she'd hit a fence and she'd just go and cast and, and hit every point and then come back and bring the stock back a little bit on the weaker side yeah, but, you know she was very covery holdy nice work and um i took her to lyndon cooper in south australia had a dog called um capri sledge yep and i bred them too and i got a dog called max like a max and 
Max, he was, you know, he was, I had a dog before him called Lascana Bogey and old Bog was, he was a ripper dog too, but um, he was very much a paddock dog and a good one. But old Max was, you know, you'd have a few calves in the tree guard. You could jump in, he'd jump the fence and he'd get in there and they'd come out. And he's, he's going down. And, you know, it, he was a dependable you know, you talk about your go-to dogs. <coughs> he um, he was one of them dogs that you could rely on to do sort of, you know, any job. He, he wasn't, he was, I trialled him and I won a couple of trials, I think, but he wasn't, you know, he was a bit heavy for trialling. Yeah. But he was, you know, he'd back a race, he'd, he'd load a shed, he, you know, he was tough on cattle and... Um, and I've still got that line, and he was born in '92. So I've got I've got <clears throat> the Max, and then the daughter was the Sophie, and then the daughter was the Gloria, and then the daughter was the Angie, who's the go-to now, and they're all the go-tos. And then I've got the young one called the Farmer. So the Farmer, the Farmer. Another story. I was going to say, how'd that name come about? Oh, let's just say Dad had a dog called Farmer, and he wasn't the best dog. <laughs> he, that's that's a. If you've got ten minutes, I could elaborate on Farmer. Definitely. I, do you want to hear about Farmer? Far away. The original Farmer. Yeah. The original, let's go. All right. So this is this is Farmers. You know, my dad. You know, I think his early dogs, I think they were better. And uh, as he got older, I think he got slacker. And um, so anyway, so dad had this bitch called Sandy. So he took it to the, you know, the dog in the district that was a good dog. So they had these pups. So he'd give all these pups away and kept one. And the one he kept was useless. Wouldn't work. It was useless. <laughs> so, of course, it knots its mother, doesn't it? <laughs> Hence comes Farmer. <laughs> he was cross-eyed. <laughs> he, he was, he was, he was a different cat. I tell you, Farmer. I remember seeing him on. The, we put a, a, a bale of hay on the back of the ute to go down the bottom farm to feed it out. And there, Farmer was ripping it, ripping the shit out of the hay. And I'm like, I said to the old man, I said, he's mad. He said, oh, he's just getting some grip. You know, <laughs> anyway, and uh, anyway, there was a day I was working the cattle and I was riding the horse and I was, you know, it was a bit tense and I was watching and farmer come along and he, he, he grabbed, he grabbed the tail of the horse and, and, uh, you know, hung on and I went up in the air and hung on and yeah. So farmers entrenched in my memory. <laughs> <laughs> Problem dog. Very much. But, uh, very, he was loyal. And he was faithful to my dad, and that's what dad had counted to him. So anyway, there you go. Um, question here from Nicole Botfield. If a dog has only ever worked sheep but has good bloodlines, will it be able to be put on cattle? Well, it's a good question. Usually you can tell the intensity of the dog on sheep. I can usually look at a dog and say that dog will work cattle, no worries. It's not. It's brave, and it's not as if it thugs sheep. 
it doesn't have to thug sheep, but it, it has to square up on the head, I think, and mean business. Um, but if you're going to work your dog on cattle, you need to start off with, you know, smaller stuff or some quieter stuff and let it, you know, get its feel. If it goes out and, you know, you, a lot of people that seem, you know, you know, they put them on bloody wild things or, or not so much wild things, but things that have, cattle that have never seen dogs and, you know, the cows will bloody attack it and it all turns to, to mushy water, doesn't it? Yeah. So, you know, but usually you can see a dog that will, I can usually tell if they're going to work cattle or not. Yeah. If someone's looking for a cattle dog, they'll ring up and I'll say, I'm looking for a cattle dog. I'll say, I've got one. I'll give it a run on some cattle, you know, because I normally don't put them on cattle until they're a bit older. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, question here from Rick Freeman. Um, do you start your dogs on sheep and then graduate to cattle? And what are you looking for in a dog more suited to cattle? And at what age do you normally find that? Oh, usually once they're getting to that six to eight months, you can sort of see if they've got that strength and integrity to, you know, to, to, they need to apply pressure and hold a pressure. I think when you work in cattle, um, you can normally see it on sheep a bit like, oh, sheep will stand up too, you know, depending on the sheep. Um, so the old sheep will have a crack at a dog and, um, Usually you can put them on some older sheep and let them see how they stand up to them. But um, usually, you know, I get them going on sheep and you can sort of see they're going all right for strength. And then um, as they, you just put them on a few wieners and, you know, something, you might have another dog out. So it starts off easy and then you work up to it, you know, up to the real stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And um, on the note of sheep, Damon Hunt has asked, what breeds of sheep do you prefer to train with? Little ones. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to get knocked over. I've recently done a school in South Australia at um, Mount Shank Station near, near Mount Gambia, and they had these bloody elephant, bloody merino things. God, freaking hell. And the young bloke was there, was flogging the hell out of the sheep, and they were charging me. And I said, for goodness sake. I don't want to get knocked over. And, um, but when we started stopping the dog from just hammering them and just teaching the dog, you know, to have a bit more respect on the sheep, the sheep settled down. But yeah. I always draft off the little shitty, little shitty lambs. Yeah. They're my favourites. <laughs> and, um, you know, they're worth more to me than the big fat ones. And if you're going to use big fat sheep like, they're, they're strong, they're fit, they're young, they're hard, to, they're, they, you know, they do themselves damage, you know, and it, I don't want to be involved in that. And I've been, I've done dog schools all over the country and, God, I've seen some different sheep and I always say to them, get your smallest, get your ugliest, get your bloody sh little shittiest and they are your best training sheep. Normally, you know, but yeah. whatever, you know, whatever. <laughs> are you breeding many pups at the moment, mate? I always try to keep, um, might do six or eight litters a year. I, I like having a few pups around because we're usually doing demos or we get bus tours in with old people and, you know, we do some shows and um, we're doing dog schools. It's nice just to show off that, you know, that that 
that serious instinct to people. They, they, when they see it, it's like, yeah, I can see it, you know. And um, so I like to keep a few pups around and we yeah. get a few orders and that sort of thing as well. Um, on that note, Ethan Fremantle's asks, with the rise of shows such as Mustard Dogs, have you found the pup price and demand in particular have been affected? Oh, I'm not much of a fashionist. I'm, I'm a bit more of a steady as I go. I don't give a, I, I'm not into, you know, what people want really i'm just i just breed work dogs and um you know for farmers and a lot of my dogs go off and you never hear about them I, it was funny i had an old bloke in tassie and he rings me up and he goes well, i got one of your dogs he said the bloody thing died he said it was only 14. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, he said, I want another one. And, you know, and, you know, and I said, oh, was it any good? He said, oh, it was a bloody good dog. He said, you know, and you, you sell them and they go off and you never hear about them. And, you know, they're not all good and they're not all heroes, but most of them are pretty handy, you know, useful dogs. So, so yeah, I'm not into fads or fashions. The red dog was the same, you know, yeah. that all, everyone got excited about Kelpies. I think Kelpies have become popular especially in the cities these days but um they're a, they're a nice dog they're loyal they've got integrity they're you know they they're they've got to be handled right but i think they're a nice dog anyway no no absolutely what are you looking at when you're considering like future joinings dog and a bitch normally yeah <laughs> are, are you looking um, at different traits and go oh, i'm going to do this or um you know you might wait for a particular bitch to join a particular dog or well, I'm a bit, I'm a bit simple in the sense that I'm, I'm looking, <clears throat> you know, you'll get a lot of people they're looking for. Looking for oh, we got him here back. Here we go. On our website there. So, get yeah, mate, got you back. <laughs> um, I don't know what happened, but Annie could just come in and. Put Did I magic? Yeah, no, I'm, me and IT, we're not friends, so. <laughs> that's all cool, that's all good. That's, we were just talking about um, future joinings, like when, you, when you're looking at. I, um, I'd probably like a, a more paddock, a bit more paddocky bitch, yeah. um, but I'm, 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 I'm mating like to like with maybe going a little bit to where I need to go a bit more. So if I've got a, 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 a sort of a more holdy bitch, I might want to put a stronger dog in there. But um, I'm always looking for like to like. And, um, you know, I just like mustering type dogs. And um, we've got a dog called Roy who Annika works and I always call it bloke is best kept secret. He's a seriously good yard dog, you know, but he's, he's pretty good outside too. So we'll, we'll use him a little bit, you know, and yeah. there's a dog there called uh, young. I call him young Ned. He's a son of Ned. Who's a son of Ned. <laughs> so there's a Ned line and uh, there's a, my go-to bitch, Angie. She's a, she's a, just got plenty of punch but she's a, a ripper mustering dog up in the hills you know and um i've just joined her to a dog called blackwater butch that i used to own years ago and he's by a dog called kippapook um kippapook jed who jed was out of a bloke a bitch going back and the, 
the Matt Webb stuff. They were, they were good, strong, intense dogs. I don't mind using a, a sire a bit more intense, you know, yeah. um, as long as, you know, I've got a bitch with a bit more common sense, you know. Yeah. So, I don't know, whatever. Um, There's a bit of a plan. <laughs> and a uh, question here from Chris Egan. When you decide to buy a new sire for your stud, um, when and why are you doing it and what are you looking for? Well, I've had the um, I've had the back in the in the nineties. I've had the Max line, and I've had the uh, Scooter line, which was a, a dog I used a bit. And then um, I don't know. I used um, we um, I used the 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 bloke Ned, who was by Futura Ned. Um, a guy called um, George Pickles used to run him. He was a pretty well proven dog. So George gave him back to me when he was older. So that Ned line is still coming through now. Um, I'm looking at Bass Strait, so there's nothing going on below me. So I'm in this little far corner, and it's hard to have. You know, it'd be lovely to live up in bloody middle of New South where there's heaps of good dogs, like you buggers. <laughs> we risk oil. Yeah, I know, and it's hard. It's such a big country, you know. And um, but I, I bought in a dog called um, um, Rouse about um, Gus. Yep. Now I bought him in just to put a little bit more finesse back in my dogs. He's a true paddock dog. He's a very nice paddock dog. And um, I've got a nice line of his stuff coming through. So I'm going to have to go. I can't keep putting too much of his stuff back into my line. I've either got to go back into the Beloka line again or go back into a bit of an outcross. So, you know, in mind of keeping, you know, what I like in my dogs, you know, yep. good, good, strong paddock line. And if you had to go that outcross, where, like yourself, right, and everyone's got different tastes, where would you look at the moment for that? What would suit you if you had to go outside? Um, what, what, is, what I enjoy is going to trials and seeing the dogs that are around. You know, you don't see all the dogs. Um, I've outcrossed to this Blackwater Butch a couple of times. There's a, there's a dog over in, um, in Western Victoria called Kippapook Charger. Uh, yeah. a, a Peter Bars dog. There's, there's probably you know I don't get up to New South to see the good dogs as much. Uh, there's Rod Cavill's got a few handy dogs around, and you know there is dogs. And I just boring as I am, I'm still looking just for that good, good mustery type, you know, paddy dog that's just natural outside and. Um, it's a little bit hard sometimes to see dogs in yard trials. The, 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 sometimes they can be over-controlled and you can't actually see what they've got. But often if I go to a trial, it's not the one that wins that I like. It's usually something that just is a good, strong competitor, you know, that probably maybe puts a bit too much heat on the sheep, you know. Yeah. But anyway, something. Something like that. I don't know if I've answered it or not. <laughs> no, definitely, yeah. Did mate. Um, Sean's got another question here for you. What dog do you think has made the biggest influence to your stud and line of dogs? Well, it's 
it's an interesting, it's a good question, but it's, there's a couple of factors. The factor is I don't want all my dogs to be the same. I want to have a team. If I go mustering, I don't want, you know, I, I want a head dog, you know, that uh, uh, rouseabout Gus is a beautiful head dog. I, I let him, I let him go out to the head a bit and, and he'll, especially when you're up in hills, I just let him hold. And, and then I've got the Angie who will work a head or a tail. And, you know, I've got a couple of Gus daughters that are coming up. So they're just, there's, there's um, Bubbles who's a, a nice, um, she's probably more paddocky. And then I've got Gypsy. So there, Gypsy's a bit more yardy. So there's, you know, there's a balance. There's old Nettie's are quite a strong, heady type dog. So I, I want, you know, I rate, I rate a sort of a softer paddock dog. You know, you get into the yards, there's, there's these Tarzan idiot things that are roaring around and they're smashing the end of the sheep. You know, you want a tail dog just to hold your tail. Look, you need backing dogs for sure. I love power, but mm -hmm. you need it in sequence you know you want something holding your tail as you're doing the force work as well you know and um i'll often work you know two dogs in the yards just one's a bit of a backing dog and one's a bit of a hole you know so yeah. it's and i haven't got i haven't got heaps heaps of sheep to, and sheep work but i think if i had more sheep i'd probably have a couple of dogs with a bit of bark a bit more bark mine are a bit more um bark on command type dogs but i like i just saw a little bitch in casterton and she had a line about a quarter of an elfinvale line back in them and she just had that nice little bit of free bark when you ask for it every time yeah. and it was just really handy you know just that little bit of practical bark not uh, they shit me when they bark all the time <laughs> and you mentioned that you're like a backing dog and now talking about bark do you, um, you always encourage your dogs to work over the back rather than the side of a race? Normally I do. If if I'm if I'm drenching, I, I tend to send one up the top and bring them back through. And, you know, normally you work and you put them in the shearing shed or, you know, you're crutching or, you know, you, you can't work them out the side. So you've got to have something that's going to go over the top. I, don't, I like them midfielders that feel no pain, you know. You've got to have one. They're <laughs> just handy and um they're worth feeding mm -hmm. and um i just think you know depending on your amount of work you know you probably need probably more more of that type of dog um i i think you need that little punch you, you've got to have a little bit of punch but i think a lot of people confuse the power by putting it in the wrong places and creating more work and you'll get sheep that don't flow because they're just putting too much heat on the sheep and the sheep are shutting down. Yeah. And, you know, I like, you know, that was one of the things we did early days when Neil McDonald come here, we, you know, we worked on, you know, watching your lead. And I did that in Queensland and it was very imprinted into me to be, very um observant of the lead you know and and what you normally you're only working 10 percent, whether you're in the you know the front 10 percent, whether you're in the yards or within the paddock and my my yard work starts at the top of the hill i start getting my mob right there and by the time i go and every i hear this story and i go to farms and it annoys the living life out of me 
They leave all the gates open. All the sheep just all run in. But nothing has found a gate. Okay, I have all the gates shut. Get to a gate. Got me dogs. I might have three or four dogs. I just chuff up to the front. I just open the gate. I sit back. All the sheep run past. The dogs are doing the work. They've gone through five or six gates by the time I get to, you know, the force area. And there, if, you, if you're responsible about, you know, how you look at your sheep, the sheep are sort of actually wanting to go, you know. And, and I find that if you start doing your yard work in the paddock and yes. you're setting yourself up for success there, you'll start to, you know, still need a Tarzan dog, you know. You still need a back and bark thing. But you need it at the right time and you need to look at the sheep as well. So there we go. Did I answer the question? Yes, <laughs> I answered it well. Um, on that note, there's actually a question here from Howard Bostel. Um, when moving sheep in paddock, if a breakaway occurs, do you prefer the dog to stay with the mob and get them later or head and return the sheep that have broken out? Oh, it's a good question. It, it, every day is a different day. <clears throat> and um, just, just your, you know, your general mustering. You know, there's a big step between training a dog and actually working a dog in practical situations. And when you go off to do a muster, there's there's a myriad of things that can go wrong. You know, sheep lays down or up in the hills here, or, you know, and that's why it annoys me if the dogs come in too close and put too much pressure on you get i know you'll usually a weak one they'll buck out down a gully and there you are there it is down the gully and so i usually sit there for a while and i'll um it's not coming back yeah <laughs> so yes. what do i do do i leave it there what do i do so normally i'll either take i'll usually cut a few off <clears throat> 20 10 I'll just get in there on the bike, call a few dogs in, and I'll take that, that small mob back to the one or the two or whatever it is. And, you know, I'll usually use the coaches because one sheep won't normally won't work very well. Yeah. They're, um, they're bloody bastards. <laughs> <laughs> um, question here from uh, Jared Ridley. He's... Um, He's asked for any advice for where to start on sheep or goats for a complete novice handler with a two-and-a-half-year-old Kelpie. Um, he's worked around sheep and goats but has no training. Ideally, um, he'd like to get him to a clinic, but um, with the remoteness, it's hard to. Is there any hope for us, he's asking? <laughs> no, there's no hope. <laughs> um, yeah, of course there is hope, and it depends – there's a, a really good tool now, and it's called YouTube and, and social media. So what you got to do, you got to weed out all the bullshit and try to find something that makes sense. And um, we put the bloke of Kelpies, we, we've got a little, what do you call them, a YouTube channel. And we put, we mainly put a lot of uh, videos up of dogs we sold at the Casterton auction. And um, if you look, you can see my positioning you can see how how the dog works in relation to the sheep you know that there's there's a bit of depth in the dog it's not just smashing um you, you need to be able to have a stop or a sit on your dog before you go out there you know um 
you need to be able to stop your dog at least. Um, and if it cuts one out or does something stupid, you need to be able to explain that it's doing the wrong thing. And um, if you can get a mentor that has, you know, you have some faith in, and there's two things. You need to have a way of doing it and you need to have to go out and try it because if you don't, well, you, well, you'll never know, but you don't want to make a mess of things. So you start off, I love, I've got an old mate and he's called Post Old Rammer. Boom, 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 boom. You make some nice little paddocks, you know, you don't start off in a hundred acre paddock or it's like a horse. You don't try break a horse in a hundred acres. You get in a round yard. Mm because you've got advantage, but you don't live in the round yard. You don't ride the horse in the round yard every day. You ride it out, but you start off small, small mob, small yard. You can get bigger. The smaller the mob, the more control you have on your dog. If the sheep come to you, um, the bigger the mob, it's harder to control the dog. So it's just common sense about, you know, I, I, there's an older fella come down here and he goes, oh, I'm having trouble with my dog. And he had a Joe Spicer dog. It was a nice little dog. And I said, oh, yeah, what's going on? He said, oh, well, um, I've trained it. And he said, but I go out in the big paddock and it doesn't listen to me. And I said, oh, all right. So, um, but he trained it on three sheep in a yard. And then he goes out to 600. And I said, all right, well, why don't we just go down to 20? So we put 20 out in the little, you know, 100 metre square holding yard. And we worked it, it was perfect, did everything he said. I said, all right, well, why don't we put 50 out there? So we put 50 and it started to go, yeah, I can do what I want. Because it's a Kelpie and it says, well, I'm just know what I'm doing and I, I'll do what I want. And it's like, no, no, you should do what we tell you. And I, 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 can, I can enforce my ask, you know. That's, yes. Matt, how do you go about picking a pup for yourself? Yeah, it's a good question too. That's one of them balls of string, isn't it? Second um, handshake. I like to keep them a little bit, um, and it's not always possible, till they're about 12 or 14 weeks and, and start looking at them a little bit. And I like to see how they work. Um, obviously, I like a friendly pup. You know, I'm not looking for the boldest, arrogantest thing, and I'm not looking. You know, I'm I'm a bit careful on sensitive pups. I don't like. I like a little bit of attitude in the dogs, and um, and I like something that has a little bit of distance, but you know, will come in and, and get to the right control points and and can move sheep. You know, so that sort of criteria. Yeah. What about advice for someone picking a pup or purchasing like? first dog well i think it's the old story i think um you've got you know i think people who get dogs that they really want do the research i think they travel i think they go and have a look at the parents or go and have a look at the pups and i always tell people well you know there's a lot of blah blah going on on social media you, you it's hard the, the trouble is it's you know, Australia's a big place and it's hard to get to pups sometimes. But I have seen a lot of um, dogs that I wouldn't like to own. And I, I think if you, you're going to have a dog and you're going to have it, 
you're going to pay the money and you're going to put the time in on it, I think you should, you know, get off your bum and get out and have a look and have a look at, the, you know, the, the parents if you can. It, it, I think it's nice if there's a pedigree involved, but it, if the dogs work correctly, I think there's a pedigree not far away. So the pedigree not everything. Yeah. So, mm. Absolutely. And we've mentioned trialling a few times, mate. You, you still do any trialling? I work a lot on weekends, Dan, and it's, I've got a farm and I've, my kids are growing up now. I had this 20 year gap where I had three kids I had to bring up by myself. And that yeah. was a bit of a, a, you know, a hard one to get away. And um, kids are young adults now, so that's, that's good. Um, I actually really enjoy trialing, but I, we've, it's just a long way from anywhere here. Uh, we do, there's a few local trials we, we try to get to. Um, I, I run them on the farm, so that makes traveling a lot easier. Yeah. But it's awkward when you run a trial, you really can't compete too much. And, um, but I do enjoy competing. I think, I think I said it earlier, I think the knowledge, I think if you aspiring young person who, um, who wants to do better with your dogs, um, I think trialing is a good way. I think um, I'm not a win at all cost person. I'm a, I'm a I enjoy my dog. I'm a, a have a beer at the end or have a chat with people. Sort of, a, I enjoy that. I enjoy watching the dogs. Um, you know, I that's that's me. Everyone's a bit different, but um, blah blah. <laughs> what about favourite form of trialing? Um, I think I enjoy the utilities more so. Uh, we just run the uh, Victorian Utility Championships here at Bloker um, in November. And it was a hell of a wet winter. And it was just a nightmare to try and wean the lambs. And they were weaned a bit late. And they were some, you know, they were pretty toey. And uh, we worked in the championship, we worked three lambs and it you know it was difficult and i think um there was some really good dogs that you know that that didn't do well and it was just the lambs were difficult and um but it was a bloody good test as well and i i think i prefer five or six and three three's a small mob um mm-hmm. but anyway you know sometimes you've got to work three um and I like the fact that you still got to do a bit of yard work. You know, you can't just have a straight paddock dog that won't yard, you know. Yep. Do, um, so I like utilities. I don't mind yard trials. They're a bit repetitious, but blah, blah. Mate, okay. trials are good too. I like them. Absolutely. You can punch through a few in a day, right? You can still get home for that two beer system, two stomach system. You've got to do it. It's, yeah. just, it's just, you know, it's, in, it's just in me now. I just... <laughs> I think it's always been in me. <laughs> Mate, and um, with your experience dealing with a lot of inexperienced handlers, where's, where's something you think that they you see most struggle with and where can they improve? Um, I think inexperienced handlers, probably their understanding of what the actual dog is actually doing to the sheep and it's sometimes it's really difficult to explain, um, you know, 
what the dog is actually doing to the sheep. So some dogs are thugging, some dogs are not ineffective. You know, some some dogs are getting to the right points of control. Um, you know, they they they've got that really nice ability. I think I said earlier. Um, a good dog's usually easy to work because it does it all, and mm. that's ultimately what we're looking for. But there's a there's a lot of different dogs out there, and I think with some bit of training and and help, I think most dogs make handy dogs. You've just got to understand how they're. It's it's a cause and effect on the stock, what they're doing to the stock, how they what you got. I look at what how it's going you know what are you sheep in the pen or not what's going on i say to people are the sheep at my feet and they go yes i said well the dog's perfect and what i like to do is an exercise and i did it today with these women i like to sit on the fence you've got to get your elbow there and if it's before four o'clock well you've got to have the coffee if it's after four, well, you, the two-stubby program, and you just relax a bit and you allow. You just let that dog hold the sheep and you shut up and you just let it do it and you let it work out um, how to hold the sheep. And a lot of people are too busy bloody telling the dog what to do. It's like shut up and let the, leave the dog alone. It's abuse. Leave, shut up and just and if it's making a bad mistake you can get out and hold it and fix it fix it help it and fix it but allow the dog to think for itself and i know collies you can't do that with collies because they have to wait for it is that that's race that's racist that's racist no no a lot of good collies are they're they're very good they um, they're similar and um i just like dogs to think and try to understand how to work their stock. And I think when people see that and understand that, they become better handlers. And I say to them, all right, you want the sheep? You want them over there, all right. Well, you want them over there. Well, you've got to stop your dog over here and and create pressure around here. And you've got to have a, a corridor over there that, where there's no pressure, there's no dog. There's, you're not putting pressure on. They've, they've got to escape to where they want, you know, where you create a no pressure zone. Open a gate. It's, it's simple, you know, mathematics when you look at it, you know, and um, I think it's important. And I, when I'm mustering, I'm always looking at it how my dogs are affecting the sheep and the flow and you know it, 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 i don't want i don't want sheep to be running too much you know if if they're starting to, if the lead's starting to get away I'll, I'll let the old head dog go and i'll just send him up the front and usually a, a good heading dog will go out the front with a lot of distance so they're not smashing the lead they're just holding and as the tail catch up i just call them back and we just continue if they start going again i'll send a, a lead dog you know so you you when when especially inexperienced handlers are understanding what their dogs are doing to the sheep and and there's a there's a variety of sheep isn't there like there's merinos they come from a different planet i don't like them they're they're total different you know and i'm not i'm we cross i'm crossbred so i'm not used to merinos but um you just you know, you get to know them after a while. Yeah, definitely. So. 
And has your enthusiasm for working dogs passed on to your children? Not very well. <laughs> <laughs> my only hope's my daughter, and uh, she's um, she's uh, actually studying to be a chef at the moment. But yeah, um, she's got her old dog Chocolate, who's fourteen, and she can. Not the boys when they were younger, they could work a dog, but they're um, you know. My oldest bloke, he's uh, he milks cows and um, at a big dairy. And my youngest bloke, he he works here a bit, and he um, he works in a supermarket. So you know, but Chloe's more interested, you know. So, yes. So whatever. Annika, my partner's quite a good handler. She's she doesn't like being in the limelight. She fixed that and she bolted before. <laughs> Thank you very much, Annika. Yeah, so she's been a big influence on my life. Like um, she came here about 11 years ago when I, I had three kids and there I was by myself and she'd come here to help me with the kids and she ended up staying and um, allowed me to, you know, to get out and work and make some money. And, you know, I had this thing and it was a friend of mine. It was called Mortgage. <laughs> yeah. kept me, it's kept me broke. And it's, you know, I've just had to honour my mortgage over the years. So, you know, so that's been a bit of a job for me. But uh, yeah. we're getting there. I think I've got his mate under my wing as well. He's also called Mortgage, so totally feel you. Feel if you want to own something, you normally have one of them that mates called Mortgage. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, mate, who, um, who do you think we can have a talk to on Dog Talk um, to take a bit away from? Well, you can look at different aspects of dog there's a lot of different aspects of dog handling um a friend of mine rod cavils he's been a, a good mentor to a number of young blokes that are top trialers ao and campbell smedley that you know and there's tim his, his son tim they're, they're a grade trialers um rod's a bushman he's been around he's done a lot of you know properties and he's been a um a, a boss amongst men um, there's a friend of mine, Tony Wiedemann. He lives in the middle of Melbourne. He's a corporate dude. Bought two dogs off me, gone trialling. You know, he's just got a different approach. He walks his dogs in the park every day, you know. So yeah. there's a couple of, op, you know, and there's, there's you know, like uh, AO and Campbell Smedley. They're, they're really good up and coming. Says, I, I like, you know, when I first went to the trials, like the Chris Stableman, I think you've, you've talked to Chris, but there's Malcolm Peak. He was an outstanding handler. Um, you know, they were they were, um, um, they were mentored old old Jim Luce. I don't know if Jim's still alive. He was he was a, a legend in his own lunchbox, and, and Billy Luff, and like they were good blokes. Um, Sally Stanley, I don't know. I haven't heard from Sally. She was she was a, 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 a wonderful woman and a, a bloody good handler, you know. So and there's some really good girls coming up too. So it's very good to see. Well, absolutely. No, thanks for that, mate. We'll uh, take a bit away from that. Well, mate, it's that time of night. Was there a question that stood out for you tonight? And they will win a bag of enduro. Mind you, dogs with real king river. I think the, you know, what was me best dog was a good question. You know, I don't know who asked it. Um, that was, hang on, let me find it. Uh, the biggest influence or the best um, beloka dog? Oh, a bit of both. Was it two different questions, was it? Yeah. 
I'll just get two bags, get, get onto a Juro and say you want two bags, mate. <laughs> I don't know, you pick. But, um, well, yeah, I'll tell you if, if you're happy um, being a guest on, on our show, mate, there's a bag of enduro coming your way. But if you're happy to pick both of those instead, we'll flick your bag uh, their way. That'll be fine. Right. Fantastic. Well, uh, Tony Robson and uh, uh, Sean Herman, uh, get in contact with us with your details and, um, yeah, we'll get that bag off. And it looks like you guys uh, pull a couple of stubbies for his now four stubby system when he gets uh, the two off you each. I think if, you know, we get together, it could be a four-stubby system, <laughs> if, if not a six-stubby, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pleasure to talk to you guys anyway. Yeah, thank you. Not, one last that, question. Not getting off that easy, mate. <laughs> oh. Would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? I'd just pick on the one, but I'd have a gun that could cover it. <laughs> yeah. Easy. You thought about that, so that was simple. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Now, mate, thank you very much for your time tonight. Much appreciated. Uh, to all our viewers, thank you. Um, if through that little bit of technical difficulty we had there, uh, thanks for staying on board. We, we didn't lose many people at all. Uh, a lot of people stayed on board. So uh, listen to Laura and I just yarn on. So now, thank you very much. Um, hope you enjoyed your day. And please remember, we learn every day. And the day we stop learning will be a sad one for all of us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers. See ya. <laughs>